Hey, my name is Josh Korak. I'm a mental health counselor in the Northern Colorado area. In this space, I get the chance to interview professionals in the field, talk about mental illness, self-care, and so much more. With this show, I ask you to join me in doing what one of my favorite philosophers, a Buddhist monk, Thich Nhat Hanh, says. Smile, breathe, and go slowly. This is Care with Korak. Welcome, welcome. This is Kareth Korak. My name is Josh. Every Tuesday, we do this thing anytime you want. So a little bit about our guest today. I'm really excited about this one, guys. I'm joined by Trey Stubbs. Now, Trey holds a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling, which, funny enough, is what I am going for for my degree. Now, Trey is passionate about coming alongside people as they seek to find healing, satisfaction, and meaning in life. For the past decade, he has been involved in leader development and is an experienced speaker at retreats, schools, camps, and staff trainings. Trey approaches counseling from an integrative model with a particular emphasis in cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, and family systems therapy. His areas of focus include anxiety, depression, men's issues, marital counseling, and identity development. He is what is known as a licensed professional counselor, an LPC, and is the founder and clinical director of a local private practice, Sojourn Counseling, located in Broomfield, Colorado. Man, I gotta be honest, I really enjoyed speaking with Trey. And I'm sure I'll say that about every guest I have on this show. But, you know, from my experience, so many male counselors I know just have such a calm presence and voice. You know, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't trying to model that myself. But I feel like we need more counselors doing podcasts for that reason. In this episode, we, we get to talk a lot about a lot of different areas of mental health, including trauma, pornography, faith, and a lot more. Going forward please let me know what topics you want to hear about. Again, this is for you guys. Contact me through my social media pages at Josh Korak and let me know what you want to hear about or even who you want to hear from if there's someone specific in mind. All right, let's not waste any more time. Let's jump into it. This is Care with Korak with Trey Stubbs. Hey, Trey. <laughs> How's it going, man? Good. I'm going to pretend like we haven't been talking for the last 30, 45 minutes. Um, well, cool. Well, we're here with Trey. I mean, I already, I'm going to be doing like an introduction, okay. you know, beforehand. So um, we get to just kind of jump straight into it. But yeah, I mean, let's just start by maybe talking a little bit about your background and experience and, and yeah, what got you into counseling. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I've been doing this about six years. Uh, and so I started this practice about four years ago and, um, we've grown to six here. Um, and that's been a lot of fun. So I've loved that aspect of it. What got me into counseling originally. So <laughs> both of my parents are marriage and family therapists in, really? in, in Iowa. And that's where I'm from is Iowa. Interesting. And so I grew up with them having their own practice, just the two of them for my entire life. I never knew anything different. 
And uh, I'm wired similarly to my dad, and, and I think just in, in kind of how we're how we relate to people, and um, and so it was on the radar for me ever since I was a kid, even before I knew you know really what psychology or counseling was. Uh, and then I started in in college thinking I wanted to be different than my parents, and so I started in business and took a couple econ classes and hated it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, then took Psych 101 and thought, yeah, actually, I, I kind of like this. Like, this <laughs> makes sense for me. And and then eventually switched my major to psychology and um, and then went in and got my master's in it too. Mm-hmm. And then started your own business. <laughs> yeah, right. And then end up <laughs> being in the business. It's kind of funny how that works. It is, which yeah. I, I really love that aspect mm-hmm. of, I think counseling does provide a cool uh, chance for us to, to kind of dabble in, in running a business, yeah, you know, doing your accounting and, and figuring out rent and expenses mm-hmm. and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. While also still really getting the, you know, the counseling piece. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's really similar to me. Like in college, I took a few business class, like leadership business classes and, uh, oh, it was not for me. I mean, it was, yeah. I, I just couldn't focus in, in that mindset and it just went over my head. And, yeah. uh, and then now I'm like, oh, well, maybe I want to start my own practice someday. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, well, no, we'll cross that bridge when it gets yeah. there. But yeah. Yeah. What was it like to kind of start a practice? Was that pretty difficult or? Um, man, you know, it, it was it honestly it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So out of graduation, I worked at a community based mental health with truant teens called Griffith Centers. Um, oh, yeah. I've heard that. A great experience there. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of was court ordered. Um, and it was really cool to, to get to, to work with those teenagers and, and just good experience for me in a wide range of, of issues and struggles. And then while I was doing that, I was also working in a group practice um, that was a little bit more general. So I had you know some couples, some men, some teenagers, um, kind of more of a general population in more of just a private practice type of setting. Yeah. Um, and started just accruing hours and, mm-hmm. and kind of figuring out what I was enjoying and what I liked. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the time came where, I, I realized I really love networking and I really enjoy speaking uh, and, and getting to know the community that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And so I left that practice and moved down here to Broomfield. That was up in Longmont, so about half an hour. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Decent drive. And knew a therapist here in this area. And so I, I sublet from her for two days a week for $100 you know, a day. Wow, yeah. Um, and then she had a suite mate. So then I started subletting from that suite mate um, mm-hmm. for the same kind of deal. And then I got four days a week from that. And then once I filled up those four days, another uh, individual office in that building came open. And so I talked to the landlord and finally got my own office. Wow. And that felt so fun. Yeah, that's um, so exciting. And then slowly <laughs> built that up and then started hiring people as, as things got busier and busier. Yeah. So it was just kind of a one thing at a time and taking things mm-hmm. as they come. It sounds like it grew pretty quickly. It did end yeah. up. Yeah. So I, I was probably subleasing for them for about a year. I think I was just on my own individually for about a year. And then over the last mm. two or three years here. I've been hiring on people and, and yeah, have, yeah, growing the yeah. Team. I noticed you got a, diff- a few different counselors. It looks like in the practice now and yeah, yeah. yeah. So there are six of us here at okay. this point and yeah, um, it's a lot of fun. I I love the the community aspect of, of seeing each other between sessions and I think being in private practice can be pretty lonely because right. when it's just you, mm-hmm. it, there's no one to to necessarily interact with just if I'm in that those gaps and. Um, decompress with or, or laugh mm-hmm. with or something like that yeah and so having a group of people it's it's really it's pretty life-giving yeah i mean that makes sense you know with working in mental health it's so um straining obviously you know working with really difficult issues working with very personal and intimate mm-hmm. issues of you know such a wide variety of people and, and to not being able to decompress throughout the day in in community specifically is yeah. is hard so i'm glad that you know the practice has been growing and you've been able to to connect in that way because yeah. community's huge right yeah i mean you know better than i 
But. Yeah, it reminds me of, of internship. We had a big intern room, and so we would all come back to the same room after every session. And I just I loved those ten minute gaps, sometimes zero right. hour gap, and it was so nice to be around people. And then you go off and get in private practice, and you're like, wait a minute, where'd everybody go? <laughs> where, where's the, where are the people? <laughs> right. And so that's been it's yeah. been rewarding to have mm-hmm. people again that, that we're working with. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if I were to ask my supervisor right now, he would deny it, you know, but like, I think he's enjoyed having some interns around because it was just him before. I mean, this is, I think that was his first, I mean, I may be speaking out of turn. I'm pretty sure I was his first intern, um, or at least his first in a while. And so I know he's been, I think he's been enjoying it and I I definitely obviously enjoy it. So I'm sure, I'm sure he enjoys teaching you guys too. Yeah. No questions and excitement and energy. Yeah. Have you ever had any interns before? We have not. Uh, we looked into it last year with someone we ended up hiring once uh, she graduated and okay, got her yeah. LPCC. Um, but it, it was actually just past the registered psychotherapist that law had just changed. Oh, and okay. We're not doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then the um, person we were going to have within the practice supervise her just did, didn't end up all t- like aligning quite quite right. And so, um, we had, yeah, still got to hire her anyway, but we didn't end up having her as an intern and haven't really set much of that up since sure uh, something i'd be interested in but mm-hmm. uh, no. a lot of work I'm yeah sure. i imagine yeah. Be a, yeah a lot yeah. of work to it can you um help explain what you know an uh, an unlicensed psychotherapist is for yeah so to, to my best knowledge so and i think that it, now it's technically called unlicensed mm-hmm. psychotherapist mm-hmm. and it used to be called registered psychotherapist right. and and i believe that was really someone who didn't need to have a master's degree mm-hmm. to come and practice in the field. They could, yeah. write, like they could advertise themselves as a, as a therapist. They didn't even need a bachelor's. They could just be straight up just high straight school. out of high school. Mm-hmm. And so you take one jurisprudence exam, which is an ethics exam that is mm-hmm. open books. It takes a lot of time, right. but you don't have to really actually know a whole lot to mm-hmm. pass that. Um, and then they can practice. Yeah. And Colorado, I believe was one of only two States mm-hmm. to have something like that. Um, and now it's really beneficial for interns who want to be able to be practicing in a, in like a private practice or group practice, AKA setting, me <laughs> like you. Um, it's so actually, I did that too. When I was right. in grad school, I got mm-hmm. my registered psychotherapist license so I could start practicing. Um, but obviously it, it's, it's a lot different when, mm-hmm. when it's someone who isn't necessarily working through their, their master's degree for that right. training. But I, I believe the state has changed that now. Now mm-hmm. it's an unlicensed psychotherapist, um, which I think helps communicate probably a little bit more effectively to right. the general population. Um, and I think that that, those people got grandfathered in mm-hmm. and I, I believe that that's like you can't become that anymore that that's shut no down. yeah so you so can't no you can't people. register anymore like for me i i'm an unlicensed psychotherapist right now just because i haven't graduated and gone my lpcc my licensed professional counselor candidate mm-hmm. that's a mouthful um but yeah i think i i actually just renewed my registration so i can keep renewing it until i don't anymore yeah. i guess and so um but yeah i just i don't think they're adding any new ones um but it is interesting like i remember when i was in college i had i took a fly fishing class of all courses right and the professor that he wasn't even a professor he was just a fly fisher the teacher he was an unlike unlicensed psychotherapist Mm -hmm. so he was a practicing counselor um but didn't have any sort of training or degree in it i'm sure he's a great counselor but it was just interesting yeah it's definitely different yeah very different so Mm -hmm. i didn't yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, so I, I agree. I think the language shift was needed. and um, Yeah, anyways, interesting stuff. So, yeah. 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 No, no interns here. Right, time. right. Yeah, so what um, what kind of 
work do you do? What kind of areas do you work in? Maybe more specifically, do you have any areas of specialty? Mm-hmm. Um, whatever that means, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I I would say probably. 60 to 65 percent of my caseload is working with men mm-hmm. uh, between you know 18 and uh, i think the oldest kind of have 75 right um and then probably that last 40 percent is maybe half couples and half teenagers okay um is is typically and i would consider myself a generalist and a lot of the issues mm-hmm. i'm working with are in, uh, you know, depression anxiety relationship issues sexual mm-hmm. issues um you know ocd um, marriages, obviously, and self-esteem, a lot of sure. those kinds of uh, issues. Those quote-unquote typical mental health right, issues, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I get what they're, you they're mean. Pretty common. Yeah, you know, pretty right. Common issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all struggle with depression. We all struggle with anxiety and, mm-hmm. and self-esteem, and um, just in varying levels and varying times. And yeah. Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah, and yeah. then within the practice, we have um, a therapist who does EMDR. Oh a yeah. Just brain spotting. Um, wow. Okay. And then, you know, obviously therapists who are mm-hmm. doing more of the couples and working with women and, and mm-hmm. teenagers and all those kinds of things. Too. Sure. So we, yeah. Together, I think we're able to check off most boxes. Yeah. Um, but we don't have anyone who works with kids. And I, I love that. Like some play therapy some type play stuff. Therapy. Yeah. yeah. I think it, from what I see, I think there's a shortage of play therapists. Mm-hmm. I really only have one or two therapists. So yeah. I even know in this area who, who are, who do mm-hmm. that and, and uh, have, have had good experiences with. So, yeah. Uh, I think we're, that's an important part in our field mm-hmm. to have more and more people. Yeah, definitely. Gaps. That's one of the cool things about UNC is they, they kind of have a play therapy specialization, but uh, it was never offered as a course for us, really. Um, like, it's it's available, but it was uh, because – so I'm not on the main campus. I'm the extended campus through Loveland, um, and so – um, I don't know if that's why, but they kind of like laid out our coursework for us. So it was kind of like, here's what you got to take to graduate on mm-hmm. time. And which is really nice, you know, not having to plan it really. And, um, but they never really offered any electives. It was all just the general coursework. Like surprisingly, the, you know, gender and sexuality class was never a required class. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always an elective. And I wonder if that'll change here. Yeah. I mean, maybe I, you would think so, but yeah. I mean, fortunately at the, the place I'm at, I've been able to get more experience with that and, mm-hmm. But I always wish I, I took play therapy. I think it's probably a little too late for me now. But yeah, um, I did some of it in practicum. Yeah, I, I, I just wasn't drawn to it. Yeah. I, I wanted to be. I wish I were, were better a, at it. It's a different type of work. It's a just it's a whole different. Yeah, moment. yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and EMDR and brain spotting. Can you explain the general idea of what those are again for yeah. um, the new listeners? Um, so, you know, I'm not certified in either one of those. So I, I'll speak from a relatively limited knowledge. Um, but they're both more so trauma-based, and they, they can work with a variety of issues, but I think we're more born out of, out of a place of trauma. Um, although, I was even just talking to our EMDR therapist, and, and it's important when she even talks about trauma to not have trauma be just his own separate issue, but have trauma be, it's a part of depression, it's a part of anxiety, it's a part of addiction, it's a part of, of daily life mm-hmm. things. And so to even consider trauma its own yeah. its own subset doesn't even fully do it justice. Right. I actually really appreciated her even correcting me on that. Mm-hmm. I think like, well, that's absolutely right. Yeah. And so I, I don't want to just term it as its own thing as much as it, it's a, just mm-hmm. pervasive throughout life. Yeah. Um, but really what it's doing, it's, it's, le- it's more of a, you know, working from down up, um, mm-hmm. it's more, more in your body than just in, in your brain, yeah. or just a, you know, talk therapy wise, mm-hmm. um, and really helping your brain be able to reprocess the trauma, mm-hmm. not just through talking, but actually through, through body work right. um, and through your, your eye movement and, mm-hmm. and different types of styles they'll use, uh, the brain spotting therapist, her name is Kristen Ewing. And, and she was saying, even just, you know, sometimes when we're thinking about something or we're, we're remembering a trauma, our eyes 
may go to a certain place in the room or I may go mm-hmm. uh, you know, up and to the left when thinking about a trauma and brain spotting that they, they identify that and then help mm. you actually rework that even within your, within right. your eyes, within your brain. Uh, so it's, interesting. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's really, really cool stuff and yeah. it's incredible how it's just the success mm-hmm. of helping people be able to heal um, yeah. and re rework some of that stuff. Yeah. I just, um, I just read a, a book on EMDR and it was really good. It was, it was kind of just hyping it up the whole time though, yeah, which is really, you sure. know, different case studies. And it's like, it just worked. It was magical. It was yeah. really, and it, it, it does work. It's, it's really, really cool. And, um, yeah, I like what you had to say. I mean, trauma is just so much more prevalent than I think mm-hmm. we have been aware of as, as clinicians mm-hmm. and as a, as a culture and society. Yeah. And yeah. And it's interesting. I, you know, I think we've, we've kind of, I keep saying we as if I've not only been in the field for a couple of years, but, <laughs> um, but you know, I was telling you before we, we turned the mics on, like I've been doing this trauma training and just kind of reconceptualizing how we view trauma and PTSD. And, and the, the guy who's leading this training for me is um, he's kind of saying, you know, it's, it's less of like PTSD. It's less of a disorder or an illness. It's he, he kind of conceptualizes it as post-traumatic stress injury. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, that's good. And, and how, it's an it's an injury like we're we're injured our um our whole system is just overloaded and shut off uh yeah. during trauma and it causes brain damage yeah right and 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 that's why it's so important to approach it through a physiological right. sense rather than a cognitive right um, yeah and, and how we ha- handle it too mm-hmm. right if it's that fight flight or freeze right when we our experience with trauma, our, our brain literally like kind of closes on some of that rational part of mm-hmm. the brain. And so you don't even necessarily have a, you, we can say, well, if I experienced this, I would do, you know, X, Y, or Z. And, and really that's not accurate to be able to say, we don't really know how our brains are going to respond in that. In right. That. But then oftentimes we can feel a lot of shame for maybe mm-hmm. how we responded to a trauma. Right. And that shame just perpetuates all kinds of other mental health struggles. Sure. Like especially sexual trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. How the body reacts. And yeah. Yeah. So to be able to, be able to go in there and, and one flesh out that shame and mm-hmm. recognize there's a lot going on in our body and not just in our brain. Mm-hmm. Um, man, it's, it's so powerful to, to be, have, to be like free from some of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like what you had to say too. It's, uh, it, it really comes down to, how the trauma is perceived to by the body um you know in in that training he's talking about like how you know the majority of us can go through a traumatic you know what we could classify and define a traumatic event throughout our life Mm -hmm. um i think he said something like 90 percent of people do but only i forget what the percentage is maybe 40 percent i don't know if that's right but um only a certain amount actually meet criteria for ptsd and it's Mm -hmm. because of how the body um, perceives the trauma and perceives that threat. Yeah. And if they, if the body becomes overloaded in that sense and, and traumatized. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's incredible so to how, how resilient our bodies and oh our yeah. brains are. Mm-hmm. I was working with a young man who, who was experiencing sexual abuse in his mm-hmm. teenage years. And when he would be, be with that person, um, his body would, would just sh- shut down. Like there would be this dissociation where he's just not even really remembering what's happening. Right. When, when he was he with the offender, with the offender. Yeah. But then when he would leave that, you know, the, the place where the offender was with him, he would kind of come back and, and, mm. and act pretty normally uh, mm-hmm. because just his body was, was so resilient to be able to say, I, when I'm experiencing this trauma, I'm, I'm going to shut down. So I don't have to experience the full weight of this in mm-hmm. this moment. And then when I leave, 
I'll start to, to kind of act somewhat normal again. Mm-hmm. And, and in the moment, it, it, it helped him get through right. the trauma he was experiencing. But then when I was working with him when he was uh, in his 20s, uh, we saw how, how um, damaging mm-hmm. that dissociating was for him and right. how that was changing and affecting some of his, his life and his beha- behaviors and mm-hmm. his self-awareness and his just his overall you know, being a whole sure. person. Um, but it, it's amazing how, how resilient how our bodies can do things to protect us um, when we are experiencing right. trauma. Can you, can you speak a little bit more to what dissociation is and, and what that looks like practically? Yeah, it, it's, it's really, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's a more clinical definition than this if I looked it up, but kind of just like turning off, mm-hmm. um, kind of shutting down our brains so that we're not necessarily experiencing what's around us and not mm-hmm. necessarily experiencing um, physically or mentally or even emotionally uh, what, what's going on. And I, I see that more and more and more I- with the men and teenagers that I work with as well. Not even necessarily from a trauma place, but just a when we're experiencing stress or anxiety or feeling down or, or whatever the, the emotion is, we can mm-hmm. just really turn off and, and distract right. ourselves. Yeah. I see more and more men and, and mm-hmm. teenagers who, when they are feeling anxious or distressed or over overwhelmed or just having emotions they don't necessarily know how to deal with, right. can can just go into this distraction mode where I have another young man I was working with and, and he could go, I mean, week to week, barely remember anything about his week. Wow. Um, just from kind of mind numbing mm-hmm. um, and not having to address the depression he was experiencing and, and the anxiety and stress from his, mm-hmm. from his day to day. And so, so much of our work has been around just helping him experience his day, like helping mm-hmm. him remember things within his day. And then start to actually experience his thoughts and, and his emotions and his physical reactions, what's happening in his body, and, mm-hmm. and of course his behaviors throughout the day. Right. Um, and then how important that has been for his his healing right. and, and his depression and mm-hmm. feeling whole, like feeling like he's alive. Right. That's so interesting. I mean, you look at that and you're like, something as simple as just remembering what happened during the day. Mm-hmm. Right. That seems like such a simple thing, objectively, right? And how powerful that can be. Yeah. And some of those different techniques and um, reconnecting with your body, reconnecting with your experiences. Yeah. And, and yeah, how, how many of us don't? How many of us right. don't remember the drive home or how mm-hmm. many of us don't remember what we ate three days ago? Um, it, it's it's pretty pervasive. And I think mm-hmm. more and more with the different things we have to distract ourselves mm-hmm. and different things we can scroll through to just not be thinking. Um, and, and, and maybe in, in a short spurt, that can be nice to rest mm-hmm. your brain a little bit, but... Once it gets beyond, you know, 30, 45, 60 minutes, mm-hmm. it, at some point it just is, you're, you're just shut off. Right. And you're not really experiencing You're dissociating. You. Yeah. yeah. I know I'm definitely guilty of that, you know, having my Netflix binges mm-hmm. or TikTok yeah. scrolling or whatever right. it might be. And it, it is interesting because, you know, I think in my own experiences, like I don't like having, uh, you know, I don't like being with my own thoughts often. Yeah. I've, I've definitely been working on it and trying to be more aware of that as, you know, especially as a counselor, but, um, yeah, especially for the longest time, right? It's yeah. it's. I was very uncomfortable with silence and um, yeah. just being with thoughts. Yeah, right? I I challenge my clients on a regular mm-hmm. basis when they get in their car, especially if they have some long commutes. Sure. Spend the first either five or ten, fifteen minutes, and, and no music allowed, no podcast mm. allowed. Just just sit yeah. there with your thoughts for the first as long as you can go. So maybe I mean, my clients were just. I mean, it, 
they just like their skin crawls when they think right. about sitting for five minutes in their car without any music or, or something on. Um, but eventually building that out to, you know, be able to be in your car and be silent mm-hmm. and just be okay and be comfortable with your thoughts mm-hmm. and to not, not be judgmental of them, to not be afraid of them, mm-hmm. to recognize that it's okay that they're here. I, I can deal with them. I can cope. I can manage these. It's okay that mm-hmm. they're here. Yeah. And taking them in those small amounts can be really helpful. I think, mm-hmm. right. Not too overwhelming, just short periods of time. Yeah. Yeah. What's how, how does that help? Like what is that really ultimately going to be helping? It, it allows you to cope with things as they come. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we get used to distracting. So if I've had a, a stressful conversation or I'm coming home from school or work or whatever you're coming home from, if I spend the half an hour drive just jamming out to music or listening to podcasts that is helping me not think about my stressful day, now I walk in my door and the stress is still with me. Mm-hmm. And then if I can distract, whether that's with food or, or, or conversation with someone or, or more distracting on social media or Netflix or something like that, that stress continues to not be processed. Mm-hmm. And so my brain doesn't even necessarily have anywhere to file it away. It's just kind of, it's just sitting there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I compare it to, to a dog. If you're you know watching TV or you're hanging out, you're doing something, a dog comes up and starts kind of your, your dog barks at you, right? My I'm, I don't have a dog. I'm not a good dog owner, but <laughs> when I've like dog sat and stuff, you know, my first inclination is to kind of try to just shoo it away. Like, sure. no, don't bother me. I'm like I'm in a show or right. you know I'm doing something. But it, when I do that, it, it's either going to get louder, or it's mm-hmm. going to go like poop on my carpet. Right. It's going to go do. It's going to go make a mess somewhere. That sounds like my dog. Yeah. <laughs> And I believe that it's similar of our thoughts. Our thoughts are there for a mm. reason. So when they're kind of barking at our heels, there's a reason that they're there. Yeah. And, and if we shoo them away or distract from them, um, then they're going to either get louder and more annoying. They're going to bark louder at us mm. or they're going to go make a mess somewhere because they're not being dealt with. And mm. I think they make a mess in the, in the form of depression, anxiety, higher stress, things like that. Yeah. Uh, That's a great metaphor. <laughs> That's a really good way to conceptualize it. Yeah. And yeah. so if we can deal with them so then on that car ride home i had a stressful day if i can like think through that i can use some some coaching techniques i can tell myself you know the, the good and the bad and understand it even just being able to identify what am i feeling and why am i feeling it there is so much power in, in just the self-awareness around why i'm feeling a certain way mm-hmm. i think that's one of the main things in, in intake calls i do especially when the main complaint is depression or anxiety sure is that i don't know why i feel this way I, mm. I, I don't just have a reason to feel depressed or a reason to feel anxious. I just know it's there. Right. And that's, typ- that's typically our first goal in counseling is let's figure out why this is here. And once we figure out why, mm-hmm. we can actually figure out what to do with it. Um, and when yeah. we give ourselves space to think about it and, and have some of those coping skills, mm-hmm. um, which, which can be built, then, then all of a sudden silence can be our best friend. Sure. And something yeah. we're afraid of. What are some other ways that, you know, people can build some of that self-awareness and, and, and have that time to be with their thoughts and be in a, sort of like a solitude type mm-hmm. of state? You know, I, th- I think I was telling you earlier, like my commute's really short, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, when I come down to Broomfield, I really try and utilize that time for that reason. But, yeah. you know, during the day when I'm jumping from the jail to the office back home, I mean, I don't get to use that time, unfortunately. And I, I have my own ways, but maybe for people listening who are in similar situations where they're constantly just on the go, right? Mm-hmm. What are some different ways that they can kind of look to find that space and um, mm-hmm. or different ways to build some of that self-awareness? Yeah. You know, the, yeah, the car is great going on walks when you're trying mm-hmm. to eat. If you're, um, you're trying not to eat in front of the TV, you know, even if, so if you're in a family system or, or with somebody else eating at the table and talking, yeah. it helps us become more aware. If you're, even if you're alone, 
I, you know, I've been there. I, I eat in front of the TV. Um, but it doesn't really serve me very well because I'm also very aware of my food. I'm probably going <laughs> to overeat. <laughs> sure. um, but even just sitting there by yourself and allowing mm. yourself 15 minutes just to eat and think. Um, mm. I can be in a shower. Uh, mm. That can be, a, um, you know, working out. I, I think a lot when I mow the lawn or I'm, pull, I'm pulling weeds. Yeah. So rather than listening to a podcast while I pull weeds, I'll try to sit there in, in silence and mm. just focus on what I'm doing, being aware of, of the weed pulling. Right. <laughs> as well as, you know, my mind can be thinking and processing through my day in that context. Yeah. And then the four questions I have people really try to ask themselves and when we are trying to be self-reflective or mm-hmm. you journaling too would be another example of that. Um, or one, what are, what am I thinking? So what thoughts are going through my mind and trying to be aware of, of our thoughts. And sometimes mm-hmm. those are racing. Sometimes people have a really hard time coming up with thoughts or they think in, in very general ways. Now, but typically when we, when we have a thought, it's like, it's a full sentence. I think we typically think in, in sentences. And so being aware mm-hmm. of what is going through my head, not just anxious or not just I'm, a, I'm afraid, but, well, I'm really afraid of this happening or what if this happens? Um, becoming aware of your thoughts. Do I think in statements or do I think in questions? When I am sitting with clients and doing this activity, they can have five or six thoughts from a, a given moment. And all five or six of those thoughts are questions mm-hmm. or what if type of questions compared to statements. Right. And if you think if all you're thinking all day are, are questions and you're not answering those questions, of course that's going to turn into anxiety. <laughs> that, of course. Sure. How could it not? That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Um, so how do we replace even some of those questions with statements or just answer those questions? So mm. one, what am I thinking Two, then what am I emotionally feeling? Um, and, and I say emotionally, not just feelings. We can feel a lot of things, but our mm-hmm. emotions, sad, angry, scared, happy, excited, right. tender, really naming those. Naming emotions. The, yes. Yeah. Right. Naming the emotions. It's very empowering. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what are our physical reactions? So what are, what are, what's my body doing? Is there a pit mm-hmm. in my stomach? Is there tightness in my chest? Do I feel heaviness in my shoulders? Is mm-hmm. there a pressure or, or swelling in my face? Am I feeling fidgety? Am I hot? Am I sweaty? What is, how is my body responding to right. this? Because oftentimes, especially with anxiety, I mean, anxious symptoms are so physical. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, there are more physical symptoms than even cognitive or, or thought-based right. symptoms. Speaking back to like trauma, for example. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Um, obviously anxiety is maybe a more milder form, but mm-hmm. trauma is a form of stress. And, um, but yeah, anxiety shows up in our body mm-hmm. almost probably before, um, even, uh, and oftentimes thoughts our bodies and can clue us in yep, mm-hmm. before our thoughts catch up, before mm-hmm. our, our emotions even catch right. up. And then lastly, what am I doing? Behaving the verb, mm-hmm. not necessarily good or bad behavior, but just like, right. what is the behavior? What's happening? What's right. happening? What am I doing? Yep. Mm-hmm. So you can ask up those four questions, thoughts, emotions, physical actions, and behaviors, mm-hmm. Man, the, the, the self-awareness starts to build and you can realize, man, I, I'm super aware of my thoughts, but I'm not at all aware of my body. Or, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm carrying all this in my body, but I, I could never place an emotion on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to build all four of those pieces. Because in any given moment, we're experiencing those four things. Right. Right. That's super interesting. I mean, and once once we do that process, we're done, right? <laughs> We're a lot closer. <laughs> We're a lot closer, <laughs> We're right? A lot closer. It's a process, though, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, when I'm working with clients, they, they struggle with, like, I've been doing this for a week and nothing's happened. Mm-hmm. And and how would you how would you respond to something like that? Yeah, well, I view that as it, it, that's pretty foundational. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it is the foundation that we start to build our progress off of or the house off of. And so if you recognize that, man, I don't really have control over my thoughts or I'm, I'm very shame-based or shoulding myself a lot, using mm-hmm. the word should, 
um, or I'm asking a lot of questions or whatever it is, um, I, I can dive into that and really work on how do I reframe this? How do I be kinder to myself? How do I flesh out the shame and, and why mm-hmm. I'm feeling that way? Diving into cognitively or if it's a more of emotional, I don't know how to experience emotion of anger or I don't know how to experience emotion of, of sadness or fear. Being able to lean into that and start to, to work on that emotion and understanding that emotion, how it comes across for us, mm-hmm. how we feel it. If it's more of a, a, a body based, how do we, you know, with, with mindfulness and cope with it within right. our bodies, if it's behaviorally, how do we try to shift some of those coping skills? So each of those four categories then have, have their own road to, they, they all to explore. Are, yeah, they're yeah. always still integrated. Um, right. But you can focus in on, man, I, mm-hmm. I'm good at identifying my body, but not so good at identifying my thoughts. And so I want to really work on that. Right. So it's, it's the foundation mm-hmm. that I would say that you build upon. Yeah. It provides a lot of direction and counseling, I'm sure. It does. Together. It's a nice roadmap. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned shame. Um, mm-hmm. That's obviously a pretty big yeah. thing that comes up in counseling a lot. Can you speak a little bit to that and like yeah. maybe help define, you know, what's, what's the difference between shame and guilt maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Shame would say I am bad. Mm-hmm. Guilt said that I did bad. Mm-hmm. And so guilt, you're able to identify I, I did something wrong, which is we do, right? right. It's important. I, I, I say, I hope you feel guilty when you do something <laughs> wrong. That's, that's probably sure. a good thing, right? It's a right. normal reaction. Yeah, it's yeah. a normal reaction. I, I think it's a, it's good for us to mm-hmm. feel guilt sometimes. Um, but it, it, it does become our identity. So I, mm. I, I, I did this thing, but that thing isn't who I am, right? That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that I am this um, thing that I did wrong. Where mm-hmm. shame would take that more as an, an identity right. um, of, of I, I am bad. Um, mm-hmm. and, and what shame does too, is it always pulls us away from relationship. So it makes us want to isolate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it oftentimes creates this idea of, I've got to, I'll fix this and then I'll, I'll reintroduce myself right. in community or I'll fix this. And then I can go and feel okay about myself again. Mm-hmm. But the problem is when we are function of shame, it, it typically becomes it, it, the trigger in of itself to, to do the harmful behavior. Mm. Um, I see this a lot with, you know, really probably any kind of addiction, but probably specifically with some, some sexual struggles for men and mm. like pornography. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the, um, you know, especially when somebody is, is struggling with porn and they don't want to be viewing that mm-hmm. the, the cycle will use is, is a trigger, um, whether that's loneliness, mm-hmm. if that's isolation, that's feeling bad. If that's a fight, if that's, um, boredom, mm-hmm. that images, images, I mean, there's social so, media, yeah, right. It's yeah. endless. Mm-hmm. That takes you into planning stage of how am I going to access this? How mm-hmm. am I going to view this? I'm going to act out. And then you're acting out stage. And then that fourth stage is shame because mm-hmm. now I feel so bad about myself. I, I, I want to, I don't want to you know, talk to people. I want to delete the history. Mm-hmm. I want to try to just cover this up. I, I want not want to think about it. I promised myself to be the last time. All of those types of thoughts. Mm-hmm. But then what happens is now we're isolated. We feel terrible about ourselves. Right. We, and so often that shame stage, we want to punish ourselves mm-hmm. and, and, and sometimes physically, sometimes it's just, you know, I'm going to delete everything or block things. But then that in of itself makes us feel so bad mm-hmm. about ourselves that that yeah. oftentimes becomes the trigger. And so that cycle is one, two, three, four, that, that shame comes back up to number one triggers mm-hmm. um, within that arrow. And just doesn't stop. It doesn't stop until, until, until you can interrupted. really f- fix that shame. Yeah. yeah. Man, that's so interesting. You know, when I think of porn, right, um, and working with clients with that, it's it's got to be one of the most, if not the most, you know, isolating mm-hmm. experiences um, that that shame really feeds on, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it, the very nature of it, right, unless you maybe watch porn with your partner, which, you know, happens, but more often than not, right, porn is a very individualistic thing, right? Mm-hmm. You're watching it by yourself, you're engaging with it by yourself and, and 
it isolates you mm-hmm. in its nature, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Which I just think is, you know, so difficult to break out of. It makes it that much more difficult to break out of because it's just so isolating yeah. and you feel so alone in it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's going to connect with you uh, emotionally and, and create this feeling of meeting an emotional need while acting out, but then recognizing that that can't create, that's not a true attachment. Mm-hmm. And so after you're done, that emotional piece, all of a sudden you realize is, is pretty empty again. Mm. Um, it's certainly the, the physical piece, the dopamine, how that rewires our brains. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it absolutely, the, those process addictions mm-hmm. uh, can be so shame-based and, and so isolating. And then when you just feel so bad about yourself, Man, it's hard to. Mm-hmm. I think too, our our response oftentimes can be a white knuckle. I'm just going to try harder, or I'll block it. Right. Um, and then again, it it just doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Well, because of the, it, life's not just about trying harder. Right. All right. Otherwise, as 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 counselors, we could just say stop it. Right. People would stop it. Mm-hmm. You know, we want it, it. Not life's not about just trying harder. Mm-hmm. There's there's a reason why we're acting out. There's a deeper wound. Or there's mm-hmm. a deeper struggle no matter what the act out whatever Mm -hmm. the behavior is and so if you don't resolve that hurt or that wound or whatever that that deeper piece is Mm -hmm. however you're choosing to act out of it um you can try to stop that activity but if if the deeper piece isn't healed if the heart heart isn't healed it's not you're not going to stop or you'll stop one addiction and pick it up with the next sure right it's a heart problem right it's not necessarily what you're doing but yeah. why you're doing it yeah and, and then it, it's also a brain problem mm-hmm. so it all when you do an activity over and over and over again our, our brains they rewire themselves right. and mm-hmm. so your, your body gets used to this level of, of dopamine and it it it's wired in us, right? Mm-hmm. When we have, when we work out, we have a good meal and we have a great conversation. When we do something fun, we get that dopamine. And it makes us want to do that again. And right. in a lot of cases, it's, that's a wonderful thing about our brain. Mm-hmm. Like it's that our is, natural reward system. Absolutely. You yeah. want that. We don't want to change that. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you put something like porn or gambling or some kind of process addiction into that, mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, phones, all that kind of stuff, right. Can, can start to get that dopamine drip. One, it, it can over overload our brain with dopamine in ways and for extended periods of time because it's just it's limitless. It's, right. it's endless how much you can consume, um, and it can especially now, right? right? I mean, now more than ever. You know, I I don't know if you can speak better to this, but just from you know the research I've done on this, you know, this wasn't as big of a thing, you know, twenty years ago, right? Because of internet pornography, mm-hmm. you know, it's just so much more readily available. You know, I think I, I've done some research into it. I think the average age of of uh a child viewing pornography uh specifically boys i think is seven mm-hmm. seven years old seven eight years old mm-hmm. um, which is just mind-boggling to me yeah. right um it and it makes sense you know yeah. i wasn't that much older when i was first exposed to pornography yeah yeah and i, and I that you know when working with with someone who's struggling with porn that is one of the first things we'll go to is, mm-hmm. is understanding that initial exposure and just oh, yeah. especially when it's seven eight nine years old our brains are just so not ready right. uh, to, to be exposed to that. Mm-hmm. I, I think it might be of that same psychs. I was doing um, a training on, on uh, child abuse and, mm-hmm. and sexualized behaviors for a school recently. And I found that same stat, that seven. I think I also saw another stat that was nine for the average right. age. Right, seven to nine maybe. And then that um, website also had said the average addiction uh, process addiction develops around 13. Wow. For, and I think it's specific that was boys, although this is a right. very much so a rising issue for women too. So it's, it's certainly yeah. not just a, a guy thing. It, well, I'm glad you bring that up too. Yeah. You know, I think the numbers are split kind of like 75, 25, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely growing for women and 
and why is that you know like why why do you think that it is primarily a a male issue and and why is it kind of growing for for women (laughs) i don't know if you have any insight to that well you know i wouldn't want to speak on the behalf of women for for why that is happening sure um or or why it's it's more for men than than for women although again i think those numbers are are evening out more and more Mm -hmm. um it's still though i mean intimacy attachment insecurity um, mm-hmm. that, that pleasure has become more normalized. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we, bec- we become more sexualized. Um, and so f- for, for male or female, those are all core needs. And, and so I think that the lie of porn can say, I'll, I'll provide this to you. Right. I'll provide the attachment. I'll provide intimacy. I'll, p- I'll make you feel good. I'll tell mm-hmm. you that you're good. I'll, I'll be open to you. I'll be intimate with you. I mean, it, it's that, that same lie that no matter male or female, you, your heart's can be tempted into right yeah you know for those who may be um listening who you know have either had a history with uh, with you know using pornography or currently maybe that's something they identify as a struggle for them um what kind of what what what, what would be a good starting point for them to really start to overcome yeah. something that really kind of beats you down every time you try and stop yeah the first thing i'd say it's it's not um it's not just try harder so there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with you for not being able to to just kick this yourself mm-hmm. um in fact i think that's the biggest lie is that we feel like we should be able to just kick it ourselves sure um and so i would really encourage you to invite someone else into it uh, that isolating nature of porn is is part of what perpetuates the struggle mm-hmm. to to go back and so invite other you know other people who you trust to support you and, and chances are they've had their experiences with it too mm-hmm. um and then I, and then work on identifying that shame. There are so many resources right. uh, as far as um, fight the new drug. Is I was website, just gonna say I love fighting the non, new drug. Non political, non faith based. It is mm-hmm. just a, a group of people who, who've a lot of education, yeah. a lot of stories being shared. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure they have a um, recovery program, even um, what, or what they call a recovery program. It's it's an online um, resource for mm-hmm. again more. Uh, education, some like trackers, things yeah. like that. So it's yeah. a really good resource. Yeah, that's a great resource. Um, and then, you know, counseling obviously is something I w- always think can be so helpful. Yeah. Um, but I also recognize that counseling can be expensive. And so for folks who, um, who maybe already have a counselor looking for something mm-hmm. more or, or you're just looking for a different avenue, there are so many great groups out there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even just for any kind of 12-step group. Right. Um, there are some really great faith-based groups too that the churches will host, whether that's um, celebrate recovery. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there are groups all the way, you know, all over uh, about celebrate recovery and many, many churches or, or, you know, places like that will also host yeah. recovery groups that are, are not shame based that mm-hmm. are very much healing based. Um, but also there are so many online groups now too, yeah. um, that aren't necessarily faith based, but are, are going to be providing different ways of knowing that you're not alone in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's really one of your first steps. Right. Well, I mean, again, it just speaks to that isolation piece, right? One of the, the most effective ways to fight that is to break away from that yeah. isolation, which is way easier said than done, right? But yeah. to be able to build a community and, and to be able to share those experiences is is going to be huge, mm-hmm. right? Bringing light to, you know, I was just telling a client this, this the other day, um, you know, bringing light to, um, you know, whatever we're struggling with kind of automatically, and it may be small, but it, it starts to take away some of the power it holds over mm-hmm. us, right? It sure does. Um, especially with pornography, especially with something that is very secretive, very shame-based. Um, 
yeah, very individualistic. Mm-hmm. Individualized. I don't yeah. know. What are words? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, thank you for speaking to that. I mean, you know, pornography is also kind of a very taboo subject, I feel like. Mm-hmm. At, at least for men, at least, you know, from my experiences talking about, you know, porn like my family or mm-hmm. even friends. Like, it's just, you know, if it was with friends, it's joking about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's become such a, a very normalized um and yeah. at the same time very secretive very yeah taboo yeah and, and you know we we can sit here and, and I, I i agree with that I also i i recognize that people come from different perspectives on mm-hmm. that too and i think a, a third party here could could even argue with us on some of those things right so part of that too comes from where um how, how you view it you right. know and i think a lot of the men that i work with are coming from a a, a place of of like more of a faith, you know, basis of, Hey, I, I, I believe this is a sin. I believe this isn't God's mm-hmm. desire for, for sex, that God's desire for sex right. within the context of, of marriage and can be so good. And, and he created that. And that's mm-hmm. a, a positive thing. Um, but boy, I certainly have heard, um, if I'm working with someone who's not a Christian, uh, um, or just has a different perspective on, on w- what they think about porn, obviously our goals can shift a little bit within that too. Cause it's also not my job mm-hmm. to put that on somebody to say, right. you, you, you need to do this or, or that mm-hmm. as much as what are your goals? Um, and how do we help get you to that place? Sure. So I recognize there are different perspectives. I think the science around some of the process addiction and what that does to our brain, you know, I think you c- it's hard to argue with that. Sure. Um, sure. But I, I do recognize people come from different perspectives mm-hmm. there. So, yeah. How, how would you work with somebody? I don't, I don't know if maybe this will be the, the best way to ask this question. Um, it's, kind of still formulating in my head as I speak it but like you know working with people who you know view porn as as very healthy for their sexuality very healthy for um maybe their relationship even um how how do you kind of make sense of that like does it make sense does um is is there any you know thinking of research at the very least like is there any research to support that yeah you know I think our job as as counselors um, is is to lead people where they want to go. Yeah, and so it's not my job to tell someone what what I think their goal should be mm-hmm. or what I think their end result should be. It, my job is to journey along with them and help them identify the goals that they that they want to be working on. Mm-hmm. Um, because if, if I'm the one telling them what their goal should be, that it's not that's not serving them. Right. Um, I'm 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 not their pastor or I'm not their mm-hmm. friend or accountability partner or their spouse or whatever that right. is. Right. Um, so it's still with, with any issue. So n- not just porn, but in any issue, if their mm-hmm. goal is, I, I can, I'm okay with a certain level of this behavior. Uh, I, I, it's not just my job to fight. Um, it's sure. just, okay, here's your goal. Let's try to reach that goal. Um, and then let's see if it's even attainable. Cause if it's something that mm-hmm. that's a contradictory goal where I want to be able to do this, but not go any further than this, right. That also may it, through our process together, they may realize, wait mm. a minute, maybe this goal isn't actually serving me. Right. Maybe this goal isn't going to improve the life that maybe I, I thought it could. Mm-hmm. And so then we reevaluate that. We work on identifying that next goal. Um, mm. But it is about being in process with each individual person and what they're coming right. and hoping for. Yeah. I think it speaks, you know, you're speaking to what makes the counseling relationship so unique. Because um, mm-hmm. there really is nothing like it, you know. Um, you know, kind of comparing it right to a pastor or a friend or parent maybe, and mm-hmm. it's different. It's like, can you speak to some of that? Like what makes the counseling, w- all right, you know, I guess I got to maybe clarify, you know, cause it's obviously not the case for everybody. 
Um, maybe not everybody will have the same kind of relationship with their counselor, but if we were to try to generalize it, what makes the counseling relationship so unique and so yeah. um, different than some of the other relationships in our life? Yeah. Well, you know, you hope you can be on, on the same level, right? You mm -hmm. hope that there isn't this power differential um, of, of I'm the counselor and, and you're the client, so therefore you should be listening to me or something. Mm -hmm. um, I think that can do a lot of damage. Um, and so really it is a, how do we come together and how can I support you well mm -hmm. um, and, and utilize whatever strategy that is, whether that's a cognitive behavioral strategy or, or um, you know, DBT or a person-centered um, or psychoeducation. I mean, there are different parts for sure. all of those things. Um, but it's a, it's a very collaborative process. Mm -hmm. um, and I can use some of the training experience I have to, to help, but it's, it's not a, a teacher role. Um, it's not a, the, the power differential, I, my hope is always that I'm, I'm collaborating with my client, that we're, we're in this together, um, mm -hmm. and that we're, we're journeying along this way together for this season, for the period of time that we're together. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that can develop such cool trust and yeah. a relationship. The other piece of, uh, within that too is my, my promise to my clients is I'm going to have an unconditional positive regard for them. Mm -hmm. And so if we're working on, on, on something that behavioral that they don't, you know, I don't want to do this and they go and do it and they come back. If I'm frustrated with them or, or something that's going to could perpetuate shame. Mm. Uh, but if they believe that my counselor has an unconditional positive regard for me, no matter how my week went, right. no matter if I did the homework or not, whether I, I, I w thought about this or not, whether I relapsed, mm. whatever it is that I can come back in here and have full acceptance, that full acceptance creates a safety for us to be in process. Mm -hmm. And when I don't have shame and I can f experience full acceptance, mm -hmm. then I, I can really dig into the, the deepest part of myself because I actually trust that with, with my counselor. Mm -hmm. um, but when I'm afraid of, when there's a power differential, or I'm afraid of judgment or mm -hmm. of disappointment or something like that, mm -hmm. man, I, I don't, I don't want to go to that place with that person. I'm not going to necessarily trust that person. Right. Um, and so as a counselor, we able to provide that space of unconditional positive regard Mm -hmm. for someone it, it creates that rapport and that trust that i think you need to be able to have to really see true change and sure and yeah and it you know it speaks i think a little bit to the relationships that we have in our culture that yeah. it's definitely um again generalizing here but definitely lacking in that piece um you know lacking in presence mm -hmm. and intentionality and love you know, in, in, in this sense of unconditional positive yeah. regard. And yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's, it's so powerful for uh, anybody I'm working with, but I would say, especially with, with the teens that we work with yeah. to, to one, provide a space where for like for 50 minutes, if, if they're capable of, depending <laughs> on their age, <laughs> right, right. If they're capable of sitting there with you for 50 minutes or walking or, you know, there are different mm -hmm. ways to do that, but to just engage with somebody in conversation for 45, 50 minutes is something that they may, you may be the only person all week that yeah. they do that with. How special, how special, uh, what right. a cool thing. And then for them to experience an adult that is providing this positive mm -hmm. regard uh, without their, no matter what their grades are, the behavior is or whatever they're doing, but that there's, there is this safety in this relationship. Um, and I, I think it's such a cool place to be as a counselor. I, I get so, uh, it, I get so excited about it to be able to provide those spaces for people and, and especially for teens where I think they're probably lacking that maybe than any other, more than any other generation before them right. because of the, the social media and the video games that can be good in different circumstances. So I don't want to condemn all of that either, but uh, man, we can really, they can be missing out on that. Mm -hmm. Probably especially too over the last year and a half. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, COVID has definitely 
I know we could go on a whole tangent yeah. about <laughs> that, but um, for those who have maybe been, you know, considering counseling for some time, maybe they've done counseling but have had a really negative experience mm-hmm. from it for whatever reason yeah. in the past. Um, how what what would your recommendation be, um, or how would you kind of yeah, what would your recommendation be for um, I'm losing my train of thought. I'm for like edit how this to out. help someone get going <laughs> with that, or how to yeah, like how someone. how how to get going and and start that process of reaching out. You know, because talking to a counselor can be intimidating mm-hmm. for sure. You know, there's usually a lot of that initial anxiety, um, and and so for for people who are maybe just really struggling with anxiety, really struggling with whatever issue they may be struggling with, and the thought of you know coming to somebody new, no matter how you know, if they have shared experiences or not, how, how can, you know, how can we encourage others to seek that support if that's something they're really struggling and in initiating? Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the actually really cool things I think culturally that I've seen, uh, over that, even just the, the years that I've been doing this, um, and, and even within my parents and, and sure. the, the culture of, of even what it was like for my mom and dad to be building their practice, you mm-hmm. know, 40, 30, 40 years ago. Um, is that the stigma is decreasing so much. Yeah. And I think the more and more um, you're, you're seeing just the, the awareness of mental health, it's so now in our face. And so, mm-hmm. to, again, you're not alone. You're, you're, you're probably, uh, within even your circle of friends, I bet you one of them, uh, at least one of them, is, is also seeing a counselor. Mm. Um, yeah. And so th- if we can be open about that, it, it just provides so much, again, safety and trust and attachment. We can say, hey, I'm seeing, I'm mm-hmm. gonna, I think I'm going to go see a therapist. And, and I see that more and more, how that's being recommended now by friends. And sure. um, I, I think your best referral is a word of mouth referral. Mm-hmm. And so if you can ask, ask around, whether that's the, your friends, if that's your school counselor, if that's within your, um, a lot of uh, companies will have uh, someone who's, who has a referral list, um, whether sure. it's your pastor. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are people who hopefully have done some networking or have some experience working with someone, having referred to someone. Uh, I think that's, that's your best way because just doing a Google search, it is a, I mean, needle in a haystack. There are thousands yeah. of, of therapists. And Which is so interesting. You know, like I, I was looking at that the other day. I was on psychology today. Just, I can't even remember why I was looking, mm-hmm. but, um, and there were so many counselors, right? And you think about it and I'm like, well, there's, how is there still such a need and there being still so many counselors? And it, it it's just interesting. Like it speaks yeah. to how much there really is of a need. Yeah. Right. Because I know I'm, where I'm working, right. Our, our schedules are constantly booked and I'm sure you're, you're, you're mm-hmm. right there with me. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's just so interesting and, yeah. and, and a little like, I don't know, what's, what's that feeling like for you? Like what, if you were to name that feeling of like, there's so many people in need, we can't reach them all. What, what is that for you? Well, I, that's, that's a good question. Um, I think it there's it's encouraging to me in a sense of mm. the the stigma is is changing. Yeah, and so I I do think over in the coming decades we're going to find that it having a therapist who you you may be in some form of a relationship with what not necessarily you're in process with every week but even just sure. check ins may become more and more familiar like like your dentist or like your yeah your doctor yeah um, where you just you have this person that you either you have some rapport with and trust mm. with and where it, you know, it's almost a, even in our friend group now, uh, it, 
you know, we, we talk about, you know, this, the, you know, they're, you know, whether are six of us and, the, you know, three different couples and every single person within this group of six has, ha- has been in counseling, mm-hmm. whether that's for marriage counseling or individual counseling or currently in, in counseling. And it's almost a, like a badge of honor of saying, yeah, like I'm working on myself and I'm proud mm. that I did that yeah. rather than, a, oh, I did something go wrong. And I, mm-hmm. you know, so I saw a counselor for a little while, but I'm better now. It's a, no, like I, mm-hmm. I, I am proud of the fact that I worked on, worked on myself or am currently working on myself yeah. with, with a counselor. Mm-hmm. And so it, it can be a sense of, Hey, I, I'm proud of myself for doing this rather mm-hmm. than a, oh man, I need to, you know, I need to go see right. a counselor. So I think the need reflects that. Right. Which I feel like that kind of speaks to, you know, how counseling started, right? I mean, counseling and psychology in general was, you know, kind of started in this idea of like, okay, there's something we need to fix, right? There's something wrong. Let's fix it. Right. And looking at what's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's only within like what the past 20 years that positive psychology has really kind of emerged. Mm -hmm. And we've started to really take that strength based approach and Mm -hmm. um, really starting to look at, okay, yeah, there might be some things going wrong, but also like what's going right and how can we build that up and, yeah. And how can we use that to maybe um, counterbalance some of that, right? Yeah. yeah, and, you know, we know if I break my leg, I know where to go. Mm-hmm. If I have a cavity, I know where to go. Um, if I feel depressed or I feel really down or have a hard time getting out of bed or I'm experiencing some kind of mental health symptom, I, I want to be able to know where to go. Right. Um, and that's that's becoming more more common. Yeah. And I think that's so cool that, that there is a, an acceptance of that and even an encouragement of that. Sure. Yeah. Um, switching topics a little bit, you know, earlier you're bringing up faith a lot. Um, can you speak just a little bit to how that shows up for you? Are, are, are you a a faith-based counselor? Is that how you advertise yourself or is that just one of, you know, obviously it's one of many issues you work with, Mm -hmm. but, um, do you advertise yourself as a faith-based counselor? Yeah. When I started Sojourn Counseling Mm -hmm. is the name of our group, um, I was actually intentional to not name it Sojourn Christian Counseling. Sure. Um, because I, I, I really, you know, I personally identify as a Christian and, and right. have a relationship with Jesus. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why I'm in, uh, I'm a counselor because I, I, I want to be able to, to help people uh, be mm-hmm. as healthy as they can. And I see faith can be a really big part of that. Um, but I, I don't want to only work with Christians. Right. Um, so I think I can, I can show like the, the love of Christ to any client. And mm-hmm. not even necessarily by using his name, not by by putting my beliefs on somebody who doesn't who doesn't mm-hmm. believe that way. I love working with folks who, who who wouldn't identify as Christian, whether sure. they identify as a different religion or just as as um, atheist or no religion or mm-hmm. just don't, don't necessarily agnostic. Think about it. Or, yeah, yeah. Um, that that space is still a very mm-hmm. um, really cool space to to be with someone in. Um, I don't have to. Um, I, I can meet them where they're at. And it's not my job to, again, tell them what they should or shouldn't be thinking or believing, but to be in process with them. And, in, in, and I believe that in a way that's still, I'm still loving that person, mm-hmm. um, whether or not I'm talking about Jesus. Um, and so we wanted it to be a practice that would work with Christians and, and, and then also people who wouldn't identi- identify as Christians yeah. and provide safe spaces for people to process. Um, we've done a lot of networking with churches. And so mm-hmm. I, I'd probably say, um, I don't know what percentage, maybe two thirds of people who probably referred to us would probably identify as Christian or refer sure. to word of mouth um, through their church or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and and I, I love getting to work with, with people of, of faith and people who mm-hmm. um, want to incorporate their relationship with God. Because, again, we talk about shame and how much shame can be in, in um, carried yeah. from 
from that or hurts from from church. Of, uh, church trauma right yeah. is that what they call that yeah i've listened to the podcast that uh fall, rise and fall of mars hill yeah um mm-hmm. it's an incredible podcast uh, around just the the damage that can be done with mm-hmm. within a church and so to have people come alongside someone and work through those things is, is such a holy space yeah but but same thing i, I love working with folks who, who aren't um coming at it from that perspective because sure. i think there's still so much good work mm-hmm. that we can do and so I don't specifically advertise myself as a faith based or Christian counselor because sure, there are right. even in the different ways of approaching counseling, I would mm-hmm. be integrative um, as I believe that faith and spirituality and, and our relationship with God certainly plays into um, our mental health, but also like psychology mm-hmm. and being able to u- integrate those right. two areas is uh, I love being able to do that. Which isn't necessarily the case for all Christian counselors, right? Some come from a very biblical counseling perspective, which will look a lot different practically mm-hmm. so yeah there are, are you are going to find people who would consider so biblical counselors and i think on, on that far spectrum would be more of a everything is the bible and, mm-hmm. and we don't need to incorporate much psychology right i think you may have a christian counselor who may have some integration of psychology but but it is maybe still maybe weary of it or maybe just specifically wants to work with christians if they're mm-hmm. identifying as like specifically christian counselor you have someone like who's an, like a more integrational, mm-hmm. like integrationalist. I don't think it's an official term, but um, <laughs> where I would identify as, I really love to be able to integrate mm-hmm. scripture, integrate your relationship with God with psychology, um, and then certainly plenty of people who are going to come out, you know, strictly psychology and, and not necessarily integrate a lot of faith based. Sure, too. Sure. Well, I really like that. And, you know, I I I definitely fall in a similar way. You know, I really enjoyed that holistic approach of. Um, both both in practice and just as a as a human being right mm-hmm. um taking in all those different things i don't think they have to be separate you know being able to take in your your spirituality as well as you know science and um your physical health and all mm-hmm. these different things i think that's that's a really good approach personally but i guess that's a maybe <laughs> too much of an opinion for the podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's the beauty of of it if people can can feel differently and, yeah. and that's where it goes back to finding your own counselor mm-hmm. um word of mouth you're gonna kind of know hey this person has, is similar to me and and i if they're seeing a counselor they mm-hmm. like or they know the counselor then maybe that'd be a good fit for me too and it can make it easier than the google search but at the same time if, if you don't feel comfortable to ask people or or you happen to be in a, a community where there aren't a lot of people in counseling um then you know a lot of therapists will do um like free consultations 20 minute mm-hmm. phone calls reading through the websites, all that kind of stuff. So you can still do some good research and try to limit yeah. it. Pick three at first. Mm-hmm. Ta- try to talk to those three. Email with those three. See what that feel is. Mm-hmm. Um, research, I think, I believe shows that it's more about your relationship with your counselor than even is about right. like, is the type of therapy that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so that piece is, can you, do you feel connected with them? Do you experience that unconditional positive regard? Right. Is there rapport there? Do you feel safe? Do you feel safe? Yeah. And if so, man, I think you're probably set up pretty well. Yeah. That's awesome. Any last passing words of wisdom? <laughs> I struggle with general questions so much. <laughs> Whenever someone asks me, "Hey, how are you?" You don't like these. Like, I don't. I don't know how to answer how I how I am. That right. you want a twenty minute version, you want a two hour long version, you want, you want the I'm good. How are you? Right. Version? Right. Um, that was my biggest pet peeve when someone would just like text and say, Hey, Hey, how are you? Hey, how's it going? I know that you're trying to be kind. <laughs> like I appreciate your heart in this, but I have no idea how to answer the question. Right. Especially via text. Um, oh my gosh. Yes. No, I love having these conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's cool to, to talk mental health and, and talk, keep working on, on the stigma and, um, yeah, hopefully people find it helpful, yeah. uh, but, but keep talking about it. Cause that's, 
that's a really great way, I think, to serve people. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your, your busy schedule to to share your experiences, share your story, and um, and to help, you know, in this fight against against the stigma and, and helping to reduce some of that. And yeah, um, I know it's going to be uh, really impactful yeah. for whoever listens to this. So yeah. appreciate you having me. Yeah, on. thanks, man. Thank you.